Well, as we come today, we're coming to a pivotal moment in our last year of this walking through uh, a, a very intimate time with Jesus, walking through what it means to, to, to walk in light of who he has called us to be, to understand his, his methodology and his teaching, to understand his plan for his church, and to understand what it means uh, to be his, his hands and his feet, to be his church. We've walked through Jesus's ministry of uh, three and a half years and, and how it was very intentional, that there wasn't a misstep anywhere in those three and a half years or in the 30 years leading up to it or the hundreds and thousands of years of prophecy leading up to that. We've been walking through the stages of ministry that Jesus walked through, and we've been covering those three and a half years very specifically. We spent a lot of time in those first 18 months of Jesus laying that foundation and, and allowing people to understand uh, kind of his message and what he was coming for. And yet it was kind of a little bit silent and a little bit cryptic at times. It was hard to understand. And yet he was just asking people to trust him, to follow him, to see who he was. He asked some to follow him very specifically. And we talked a few months ago uh, about this idea that at the 18 month mark, just about that year and a half mark, about halfway through this ministry, Jesus chooses the 12. Not the first thing he does. He doesn't choose the 12 as apostles the first couple of days after his baptism. But a year and a half into it, after watching their faithfulness and their interest, he chooses them, sets them apart to be apostles and to be able to be trained to, to do his work for the church after he leaves this earth. He knew what was coming and he was preparing them for that. Over nine months, he spent a lot of time just very specifically with them, training them. And then in the last nine months leading up to this amazing Palm Sunday, this day of the triumphal entry, Jesus does a lot of things in those last nine months. He is staying away intentionally from Jerusalem and removing himself from that tension with the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And yet he is spending a lot of time uh, doing many things in many places and over those nine months, it, it, you know, the best guess is that he was in 35 different places doing ministry, healing people, bringing people back to life after they die. The story of Lazarus, uh, his good friend who had died and was put into the tomb, and he comes and he raises Lazarus from the grave. And we come to the season of, of this time where Jesus now, who's you know, been telling people to be quiet about who he was and to not make a big fanfare about it. Now the time is at hand for Jesus to be hailed as the king and to enter into Jerusalem at this Passover season. And we come to this passage, and it's one of my, I, I truly believe, and this is no joke, and this is no illusion to Pastor Dustin, this is one of my favorite passages to, to preach. And yet for this week and for this season, I've had a hard time really wrestling with how to present it. But I just want to read to you, if you have your Bibles, take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 20. The passage of the triumphal entry is in all four Gospels, and they all four record different pieces of it. I love this version in Luke. I believe it's one of my favorite versions for one reason, and I'll tell you in a few moments. But before we read this, I just want to read the words of one author that said this. He said, he said this. He said, it's early in the final week. The props and players for Friday's drama are in position. Six-inch six spikes are in the bin. 
A crossbeam leans against a shed wall. Thorn limbs are wrapped around a trellis, awaiting the weaving of a soldier's fingers. The participants are nearing the stage. Pilate is concerned at the number of Passover pilgrims. Annas and Caiaphas are restless over a volatile Nazarene. Judas views his master with evasive eyes. A centurion is available, awaiting the next crucifixions. The players and the props are ready, but this is not a play. This is God's divine plan to present Jesus as the Messiah. So I'm going to pick up in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached sorry, and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why, are you, why are you untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the, roads, the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And they shouted, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teach, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if you keep quiet, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So Jesus is coming. He's been spending time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And people have been coming not only to see Jesus, but to see this resurrected Lazarus. And the religious leaders are getting a little uptight. There's hundreds of thousands of people there for the Passover feast in Jerusalem. And along the way between Bethany and Jerusalem. And as he comes and he goes through this, this, this finding of this colt and the donkey that is predicted in Zechariah 9.9, it's brought to him as, as God had planned hundreds of years before. A coat is put on instead of a saddle and Jesus sits on this colt and rides in and the people shout, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And you read the passage where this comes from, this comes from Psalm 118. And they shout the words, O Lord, save us, which is the word Hosanna. So we know that Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is being touted as the king. And the people are seeing this. The Pharisees are getting a little upset. They're, they're telling Jesus to keep them quiet. And he says, if they don't shout, that the earth will. And then we pick up in verse 41. He says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you even, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you 
when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. As Jesus is coming in, there's a lot happening, and he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to come in a week. He knows uh, the fact that the story ends differently than the people expect it to end. And as he comes to Jerusalem, it says that he wept. And that word truly means wept. It wasn't a little teary-eyed. It was he wept. He wailed over the city of Jerusalem. Hinged on this week was all eternity. And he was ready to go to the cross, and yet everybody was expecting him to come as the conquering king. As this is happening, and this fanfare is happening amongst these hundreds of thousands of pilgrims there for the Passover, it had to come to the attention of not only the religious leaders of Jerusalem, but to the Roman soldiers as well. And I'm sure there were Roman soldiers who would ride up on their horses to see what was happening. Instead of seeing a king on a, a stallion, as they would expect to see a conquering king come in, they saw this lowly man on a donkey. They saw this Jesus, not much to him, riding on a donkey, riding on a colt, with somebody's coat thrown over it. Instead of a throng of soldiers behind him with banners of the countries and the the kingdoms that they had defeated and not being followed by a ragtag group of of captives, Jesus' soldiers were the captives. They were those who were blind and now saw, those who were lame and who now walked, those who were disheartened and now had hope. It was those who truly, along with others, thought that he was coming as the conquering king who would take down the Roman Empire. But what we see in this time is that Jesus comes not as a king of power, but as a prince of peace. And that's a message that we need to hear today. That we don't have this powerful king that's going to take down all the governments of the world, although he could if he wanted to. We are a people of a prince of peace. And I think it's so important that we see that. It's important that we know why he came. And I want to encourage you in this week to come. I want to encourage you all to read the story of the Passion Week, of of this Holy Week. You can pick it up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and just read through it. John, there's a lot there because he he, does this upper room discourse where he talks about so many things. But take time to read it this week. Take time to feel the passion of Christ. Truly his passion that he brought into that week, laughing as children sing, weeping as Jerusalem ignores who he really is, scorning as priests accuse him, pleading as disciples sleep when he's asked them to pray with him, feeling sad as Pilate turns and hands him over to be crucified. Since his power, blind eyes made to see, lame made to walk, fruitless trees withering, Money changers hastening away, religious leaders cowering, and tombs opened as we come to the resurrection story next Sunday. And here is promises. Death has no power. 
Failure holds no prisoners. Fear has no control. For God has come. God has come into our world to bring us peace and to give us a new home. Well, this week, as I have done many years before around Palm Sunday, I just kept being drawn to this passage where he weeps over Jerusalem. And it's important that we realize he's not weeping because he knows he's going to be crucified or that the people will turn against him. He knows what a week's going to hold. He knows what six days will do. Shouting Hosanna one day and six days later crucify him. He knows these things, but it's not that that causes him to weep. It's the very fact that the people expected a king of power and missed the fact that he was the prince of peace. It was the fact that the people wanted to be people of God who would sit on, in a sense of power with the the king who was on the throne and, and overturn the work of the Romans. They come to celebrate the Passover, the freedom that came from Egypt, that, 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 that releasing from, from slavery. And yet Jesus comes to not release them from Rome, but to make them a servant to everyone. Passage goes on, and or the scripture goes on in Luke and brings us to the passage of the Last Supper. And Gospel of John, prior to serving the Last Supper and, and meeting together around the table, Jesus puts on an apron and washes the feet of his disciples, setting an example for them of how they should live. He said very clearly, I've set an example that you should follow. You should be like me, you should be that servant. But then as we pick up in chapter 21 of Luke, the story of the Last Supper, chapter 21, verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus Sets a tone here that he comes not as a 
uh, a king of power, but as a prince of peace. He does not come as a king who sets himself up in a temple or a palace, but he's the prince of peace who comes to the table. I'm not sure if you watched the playlist beforehand, but at the end of it was a song that's a little different. It's not really a worship song that we would sing in church. It's a song by Sidewalk Prophets called Come to the Table. I want to read you just a couple of the words of that song. It says, we all start on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. We are hungry. We are thirsty with nothing left to give. Oh, the shape that we are in, just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door for us. He said, come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior now. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. It goes on and repeats the thought of this motley crew of misfits and liars and thieves then at the end of the song, it says, to the thief, to the doubter, to the hero and the coward, to the prisoner and the soldier, to the young and to the older, all who are hunger, all who hunger, all who thirst, all the last and all the first, all the paupers and the princes, all who fail, you've been forgiven, all who dream, all who suffer, all who loved and lost another, all the chained, all the free, all who follow, all who lead. Anyone who's been let down, all the lost you have been found, all who have been labeled right or wrong, everyone hears the song. He said, come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior now. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. And it's an interesting thing what... Jesus is laying out for us here, and he takes this common celebration, this yearly celebration, but he takes the common elements of the bread and and the wine, and he prepares a chance for people to remember what he's done and who he is and who they are in him. So we come regularly as a church to come to the table to be reminded of the commitment we have in Christ because of all the love and compassion he's shown us. And I think it's very fitting that Jesus came in humbly down that mountain that day into Jerusalem. And yet, even at the end of the week, as things are changing, he takes this intimate moment around this table and builds into his followers and shares life with them and shares hope with them. Now, we know that they were yet to get it. We know that in a few short hours, they would all abandon him. And yet they would all be called back to that later. And they would practice this as an ongoing ritual and celebration of what he has done for us. So he didn't come as a king of power. He came as a prince of peace. He didn't come to a throne and to a, a temple and to a, a, a place of you know, just this amazing building, the temple or the palace. He comes humbly around the table with his followers to present this opportunity to remember what he had done. So today we take part in this to celebrate who he is and what he has done. I'm going to invite my family to come in. They're listening from the other room. Couldn't get them to sit at the table with me through all of this, but they're going to come and join me now. We have the elements here. 
you have the elements before you, whether you're alone or with your family, I encourage you to just come and grab those elements. Jesus took the bread, and when he had broken it, he gave thanks for it. And he said to them, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to take of the elements of the bread. If you take it in your home, join us in that. I'm going to ask that you pray with me, and then we'll partake of the bread together. Father, we come before you is not as your church broken or closed, but as your church that has been scattered and deployed. And we thank you for the fact that we are still the body of Christ wherever we are. And Lord, today we come to you reminded of what you have done for us on the cross. We thank you that you allowed yourself to be humiliated for our sake that you would die on the cross for our sins and that you would rise again from the dead to conquer death for our sake. Father, your body was broken. Your blood was shed that we could receive what we could not do for ourselves. A chance to be restored into our relationship with you, seen as perfectly clean and washed free of our sin. So today as we take this element to remind us of your broken body. We humbly say thank you. We say we thank you for what you have done and who you are. We take it now in a humble state, knowing how mindful we are of our need for you. So we say thank you in Christ's name. Amen. says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. That cup represents a new covenant, a new contract between God and his people. It represents a new way of being forgiven of our sins, the perfect way, the way that we couldn't ruin or mess up, a way that we needed so desperately. It was only through the shedding of his blood, through that great price that he paid, that we were able to be forgiven. So as we take the cup, let us pray and thank Jesus for his shed blood on our behalf. Father, we come before you once again. And Lord, we can't even imagine the excruciating pain that you went through on our behalf. Lord, prefer perfect God, incarnate in human form, to be spit upon and beaten, to be nailed to a cross, and to bleed and to die on our behalf. Father, there is need for shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. And Father, as those in that room that night expected Jesus to, to do against Egypt or uh, Rome what he had done against Egypt, 
Father, we know that that is not the case. Father, he was setting up a kingdom that was much different than what was expected. A kingdom of people who had been forgiven because of God's great sacrifice through his son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we come before you to say thank you for your shed blood. We come before you to accept this gift that you've given us. So, Father, as we take this cup, might we be mindful once again of all you have done for us. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Do this in remembrance of me. Each time we do this, we celebrate who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. We celebrate his finished work on the the cross. Yet just after this moment, and just in closing here, after this moment of taking these elements and what Jesus laid out for his followers, verse 24, it says, Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table, or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. It's interesting, we don't often tie this to our communion celebration But immediately after setting the tone of what it means to be a servant, what it means to to set that example that Jesus did for us, that we should be like him, they're already fighting about who is the greatest. And he says, to to be a part of this kingdom, you need to be the servant. And verse 29 are huge and important words for us. As I confer on you a kingdom, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. Jesus came to bring a kingdom of peace, and he has now conferred that on on us as his followers. We are people of the kingdom of peace, and even this morning as I was wrestling through my feelings of all that's going on, and I've expressed my my, issues of my own struggles in this, and and today was no different, and and yet I, I just realized this morning that I came expecting and desiring to be the recipient of God's grace. And, and the reality is I have been. That's what we celebrated in the body and the, and the cup of Christ. And what I understand now is that I need to be the person of grace who distributes grace to other people. We've been given this representative body and blood of Christ to remember what he's done for us, to understand that we have a, a kingdom that we are now a part of, and that we are given the task to be people of grace. So as we go from this place today, as you go into your life, as you share with your family and your friends, whether it be in person or from a distance, I ask that we strive to be 
people of grace and people who bring peace in the season of unrest and unknowing. And I was challenged this morning, and I confess to you, I was challenged that I have not been thinking about it that way. So as I leave this place, I hope that I'm mindful of the fact that the kingdom has been given to me to be a part of. It's God's kingdom. It's the, the kingdom of God through Christ. But this kingdom has been conferred to us as his body. And wherever we are, anywhere in the U.S. or Canada or around the world, anybody's listening to this, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. His kingdom active and alive as the distributors of God's grace and God's peace. We don't create that grace. We don't create that peace. But we have the chance to give that message of hope to others. So I just want to close this in a word of prayer. I thank you for joining us. And I thank you for the opportunity to come into your living room or wherever you are for you to come into ours and to share life together. Let's continue to try to do it the best we can. Let's love on each other. Let's reach out to each other. Let's love our neighbors and care for them. Let's look for the weak and those who are struggling most in our society and see where we can come alongside them. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. And we come as people who are broken and in need of your hope. So we come as recipients of your grace and your peace. And now, as you have conferred your kingdom on us, we go as your givers and distributors and agents of peace and grace. So, Father, I pray for me, starting with me, Lord, I know I need to work on that. I know I need to trust you more. I know I need to have faith to be prepared for the work that you've called us to do in this season and every season. But Father, allow your people, allow your body, allow your church to stand and to represent peace and hope and grace in a world that so desperately needs it. And Father, we commit this to you in the name and through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.